Every year, we begin the holy season of Lent by walking with our Lord Jesus Christ into the desert. Now, deserts are places that, for those of us who've lived the majority of our lives here in the eastern United States, tend to exist primarily in our imaginations. They're places that are exotic and barren and desolate. Scenes, perhaps from Hollywood films, that are nothing but golden wind-whipped sand dunes mixed with the debilitating heat of an endless sun. And of course, deserts are eternally dry, with no water and no life to be found outside of a fading mirage of a desert oasis that never ever really is there at all. But for those of us who've maybe traveled to the American West, you probably know that true deserts aren't exactly what we see in the movies. In fact, American deserts, as well as most of the desert environments around the world, are actually permeated with a great variety of life, from mammals and birds and reptiles to plant life that seems to have been created to endure and even thrive in the hot, dry days and the cold, frigid nights of the deserts. You just have to know where to look to find them. And really, at the heart of the desert wilderness, as it is at the heart of all the wild places of forests and jungles, prairies and grasslands, even our own native seashores and swamplands, life and existence is simply focused on essentials in the natural world, the foundations that build up life and bring on death, of shelter, food, water, of cold and warmth, and of the absolute necessities for fundamental survival. All the extras and distractions of life that we've come to deal with and in which we often find ourselves caught up in here in the developed world quickly fall away when we make the decision to step out of our comfort zones and into the wild country of the deserts and of the world's amazing natural environments. But when we do make that decision to go there ourselves and to experience it firsthand and to live it out as you have to live it in those places, we often find that our own day-to-day lives can actually be forever altered and changed by that experience. For me as a young boy growing up in a small eastern Kentucky town, I may not have been very good at the sports going on out in the, on the football field, but I absolutely loved the woods that surrounded me. I loved to go out and to climb the hills and the mountains of my central Appalachian homeland. And it would eventually be through the Boy Scouts and trips out into the woods and mountains that I really learned for the first time how to be a part of a team and to strip away the things that I didn't really need in order to load up a backpack and to head out and spend a weekend or even longer in the wilderness. Now, the deciduous forests and mountains of eastern Kentucky may be a long way away from the deserts of the American West and of the Middle East at the time of Jesus, but there is still, I believe, a similar experience that comes from any wilderness of life led simply and without the distractions and unnecessary extras. And that's where my life was forever impacted and changed. Because walking into the wilderness made me, for the first time as a young boy, realize that life was so much bigger than just me. And as a young man moving into the stress and strain of growing up in my teenage years, just having had the idea of that reality, I believe, became very important into the man I was trying to grow into. 
And throughout my life, when things have gotten hard, and all of us have hard times in our lives, that greater realization that it all isn't just about us, that there's a bigger world and there's something even bigger than this earth that has continued to help me keep my life in some form of balance, as hard as that can be sometimes. I still try my best to always find time to make a visit to the wilderness and to the deserts, even when those desert places are a lot closer than you might think, to revisit the fundamentals of my faith and to build up some inner and spiritual strength. That's why it's so important that, as I said at the beginning, every year the holy season of Lent begins again with our own invitation to make our journey with Jesus into that wilderness of the desert that we find at the beginning of the first three Gospels. For as much as those stories to us seem to be about the temptations that Jesus will face with Satan, these are not really what we run into when we first pay attention to the Scripture lesson this morning. If we pay attention, we find out from the start that it isn't Satan, the tempter, who is chasing or forcing Jesus out into the desolate desert wilderness. Rather, St. Luke writes, after his baptism, Jesus, very full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by that Spirit into the wilderness. That means that it was the Holy Spirit that was calling and guiding Jesus into that desert place to pray and to fast and to begin to build his strength for the ministry that was ahead of him. In fact, it's only after 40 days of fasting and prayer in the wilderness that the gospel even tells us that the devil appears and makes his first move on Jesus. Unfortunately for the old devil, however, he was obviously confused when he thought that after 40 days in the wilderness without food, Jesus would somehow be at his weakest point. What the devil doesn't realize is that 40 days in the desert focusing on the absolute essentials of God and faith only strengthened and empowered the human side of Jesus, which the devil was after to tempt and deceive. When the devil steps in and makes his first temptation of the famous Jesus, he tries to simply entice Jesus in his hunger to use his divinity over his humanity and transform the stones of the ground into loaves of bread. But Jesus shuts down the tempter with one of the most well-renowned and remembered remarks in the New Testament. Jesus says to Satan, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. Now, in the King James Version of the Bible, drawing that same verse from later Greek texts, that verse actually has a little bit of filler built into it, some of you may remember. And that filler makes it ever so clear for those who have the ears to hear it. In the KJV, in verse 4, it says this, Man shall not live by bread alone, the same thing. But then it adds, but by every word of God. And with that, Jesus is drawing a thick line in the the sand, putting God first, giving the devil no chance whatsoever to cross that line and mislead him. Now, living today in a culture that continues to struggle with physical health issues and with the struggle against obesity, we could certainly focus in on this first temptation as being about food alone. But really, this moment easily translates into anything material or sensual that has tempted humanity from the beginning of time. 
food, drink, sex, drugs, money, technology, stuff. None of these physical things are bad at their root. And in fact, all of these things can be beneficial. They're needed. They're a blessing from God. It is only when we begin to give up what's more important and what's more essential. When we walk away from the necessities of those parts of our lives, like family, our work, our rest, our health, and our faith, it's only then when we seek out constantly the physical temptations that blessings can quickly turn into curses. And that's when Satan and sin begin to take over our lives and work within us and without us, destroying us altogether. As a priest, I really think this is the sin that I hear about more than anything else. And it is why our Lord's first rejection of the devil's temptation this morning is so crucial, not only for the physical and mental health that we seek, but more importantly, I think, for our spiritual health in a continually to turn into a materialistic world and a hedonistic prone culture. Humanity cannot live by bread alone, but only by every word of God. It is only when we put God first as the foundation on which everything else is built that we begin to find life fully falling into its rightful place and balance. After that temptation, the Satan moves into the worldly draw of power and prestige. Satan reveals in this passage that all the kingdoms and the places of the world have been given over to him. I hope you caught that. All the kingdoms of earthly power, regardless of which side of the line they're on, are under the auspices of the devil. And if only Jesus will give way and fall down and worship the presider of these earthly powers, the devil will hand it all over to him. This is the devil's second temptation, going right for the core of what we long for in power and ability as humans. But yet again, Jesus has just spent 40 days removed from the humanly pull and power of politics. Jesus has turned off his cell phone for these 40 days. And his response to Satan can still ring out across the ages for those who again have the ears to hear it. Jesus answered the devil saying, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Again, here if you look in the King James Version, it adds a little something else in there, and it's, it's really important, I think. In the King James Version, the addition to that verse 8 of Luke chapter 4 is this. It says, first, get thee behind me, Satan. Oh, how hard it can be when we lose our grip on the essentials of our God and our life to allow Satan in the variety of forms and powers to get in front of us. Jesus' response to that offer of worldly power and prestige is to tell Satan, get behind me. For there is only one power that we are called to worship and to serve and to put in front of everything else. And that is God. Finally, Satan tries to go directly after the human ego itself, at the very core of us, which Christ is seeking to direct and to save. 
In the last temptation, Satan takes Jesus up to the very pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem, we're told. The very highest point of the center of the Jewish world at the time of Jesus. And there, the devil seeks to have Jesus in human form fall into the death trap of pride and vainglory in our ego. Satan says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. But again, Jesus instantly recognizes the devil's attempt to have his equally human ego try to step in and direct God rather than the other way around. To basically place that ego over and above God rather than following God's direction and will. How many human beings today both outside and inside the church, caught up in all those other temptations of power and of material gain are convinced eventually that they have a greater knowledge than God, God's self. They themselves, through their ego, have made themselves God. And therefore, thinking they are on the pinnacle above all else, they direct everything to meet their own needs and wants, even God and God's word. This is what subtle trickery the devil is using against Jesus himself, who is God incarnate, let us not forget. But to this, Jesus simply goes to the fundamentals of spiritual life. Jesus says to the devil, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Or thanks one more time to the original authorized version of the English Bible, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. For that is exactly what Satan is attempting to do this morning tempt God, who is Jesus Christ. And with that response, this passage for the first Sunday of Lent concludes with these words. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. And all this took place while our Lord was following the Spirit into the quiet and the solitude of the desert peeling away the confusion and the clatter of this world and focusing in on the basics, the essentials, in a way that prepared Jesus for the temptations of the devil, not because Jesus was ever really tempted, but because he needed to give you and me direction fully to face face those very same temptations in our day-to-day lives. This Lent, brothers and sisters, I hope and pray you will read again and understand this important passage as Jesus' direct roadmap for resisting your own temptations by the demonic forces that I tell you are still moving through this world. For each of these temptations of material, sensual pleasure, of power and prestige, of pride, vanity, and self-centered glory are constant every day in our modern lives. Lent is our call to the desert and to the wilderness, to that one place where we might begin stripping off all the non-essentials of this life in order to restore the true necessities and fundamentals that can balance everything else. That is our Christian faith. Jesus is calling you again. Walk with Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, into the quiet and the contemplation of the wilderness and see for yourself how in just 40 days your life will be transformed. Your soul will be saved. Thanks be to God.